0: Welcome to the Friday edition of Transformation Radio.
1: Now it's time for our reading from the New Testament. And the scripture we'll be reading today is Matthew chapter 24, verses 29 through 51. Here's a brief uh, look at what we'll be reading about. The nations of the earth will mourn because unbelievers will suddenly realize that they have chosen the wrong side. Everything that they've scoffed about will be happening. And it will be too late for them. Now, Christ's second coming will be swift and sudden. In the blink of an eye, there's going to be no opportunity for last-minute repentance or bargaining. The choice we have already made will determine our eternal destiny. Jesus' purpose in telling about his return is not to stimulate predictions and calculations about the date or the time, but to warn us to be prepared. The question, of course, is, will you be ready? The only safe choice is to obey Him today. Jesus asks us to spend the time of waiting, taking care of His people, and doing His work here on earth, both within the church and outside it. This is the best way to prepare for Christ's return. Of course, the uh, scripture speaks here of weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a phrase used to describe despair. God's coming judgment is as certain as Jesus' return to earth. And with that, let's begin our reading here today in the New Testament. February 6th, the New Testament, Matthew chapter 24, verses 29 through 51. Immediately after the anguish of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will give no light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then, at last, the sign that the Son of Man is coming will appear in the heavens, And there will be deep mourning among all the peoples of the earth. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with the mighty blast of a trumpet. And they will gather his chosen ones from all over the world, from the farthest ends of the earth and heaven. Now learn a lesson from the fig tree. When its branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things, you can know his return is very near, right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass from the scene until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. However, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. When the Son of Man returns, It will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. Two men will be working together in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding flour at the mill one will be taken, the other left. So you too must keep watch, for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Understand this, if a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. You also must be ready all the time, for the Son of Man will come when least expected. A faithful, sensible servant is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. If the master returns and finds that the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. I tell you the truth, the master will put that servant in charge of all he owns. But what if the servant is evil and thinks, My master won't be back for a while, and he begins beating the other servants, partying, and getting drunk? The Master will return unannounced and unexpected, and he will cut the servant to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Psalm 30, verses 1 through 12. As we read scripture here today in Psalms, we'll see that David may have written this psalm when he dedicated Araunah's threshing floor, which became the future site of the temple after God stopped uh, the great plague he had used to discipline David. The serious illness mentioned in chapter 30 may refer to an illness David experienced or to the plague itself. Well, like a shot given by a doctor, the discomfort of God's anger lasts only a moment. But the good effects go on for a long time. Let God's anger be a sharp pain that warns you to turn from sin. Now, security had made David feel invincible, Although he knew that his riches and power had come from God, they had kind of gone to his head, making him proud. Wealth, power, fame, all can be intoxicating, making us feel self-reliant, self-secure, and independent of God. But this false security can be easily shattered. Don't be trapped by the false security of prosperity. Depend on God for your security, and you won't be shaken when worldly possessions disappear. Psalm 30, verses 1-12, through a psalm of David, a song for the dedication of the temple. I will exalt you, Lord, for you rescued me. You refused to let my enemies triumph over me. O Lord my God, I cried to you for help, and you restored my health. You brought me up from the grave, O Lord. You kept me from falling into the pit of death. SING TO THE LORD, ALL YOU GODLY ONES, PRAISE HIS HOLY NAME. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes with the morning. When I was prosperous, I said, Nothing can stop me now. Your favor, O LORD, made me as secure as a mountain. Then you turned away from me, and I was shattered. I cried out to you, O Lord. I begged the Lord for mercy, saying, What will you gain if I die, if I sink into the grave? Can my dust praise you? Can it tell of your faithfulness? Hear me, Lord, and have mercy on me. Help me, O Lord. You have turned my mourning into joyful dancing. You have taken away my clothes of mourning and clothed me with joy that I might sing praises to you and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give you thanks forever. Proverbs chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. So listen to me, my sons, and pay attention to my words. Don't let your hearts stray away toward her. Don't wander down her wayward path. For she has been the ruin of many. Many men have been her victims." Her house is the road to the grave. Her bedroom is the den of death.
0: To be honest, this text, as, as we've been studying it, as we've been looking at it, as I've been reflecting on it, it's, it's kind of weighty in the sense that when you read these descriptors of the, the fruit of the Spirit, of the characters of Christ of who we're becoming, the kinds of people we're becoming as we we grow closer and closer to Jesus. Who can stand in light of these descriptors, in light of these nine characteristics? Who can stand, right? Who would say, yeah, I exemplify all nine of these perfectly. This is me. I'm perfectly exemplifying self-control. see a lot of young people out here. That's probably not what you would describe yourself as on a regular basis. And so this is weighty. This is convicting. What is Paul saying? What is he exhorting us to do? And and see, one of the tensions, one of the difficult things in this is it'd be very easy for us to just say, hey, you know, we're going to focus this week on gentleness, on faithfulness, and on self-control. So you know what you need to do, friends? You need to be more gentle. You need to be more faithful. And you need to exemplify more self-control. The tension is, it's yes and no. Because there is a calling to us, but what does it look like to live that out? Live that out by the gospel in light of the gospel. And so what I want to do, and hopefully we can close this well, this series well, is I wanna I wanna to try to unpack this by saying, what does it look like to live these out in light of the gospel? What is what is Paul telling us to do? And one thing I think we realize, I hope that you've experienced, one thing I've experienced, is we've learned a lot about ourselves the past few weeks. We've learned a lot about ourselves. And so I want to start out this way. If you haven't been regenerated, if you haven't been born again, if you haven't been saved, whatever language you want to use, what we've learned that Paul is telling us is that you live by the flesh alone. You live by the flesh alone. And I think this makes the world make a lot more sense. This makes the world make a lot more sense because there's a reason it's so easy to live according to the flesh. The world's filled with people who are far from God and they're living according to their flesh. The flesh is all they know. If they're not born again, if you're not born again, the flesh is all that you know. It's all that you know. And so you'll be told by the world, this is how to view sex. This is how to view power. This is how to view money. This is how to view freedom. This is how to view morality. And all of it is influenced by the flesh. If these folks, if these people aren't born again. Even the world's philanthropy is fleshly. Think about it. What non-profit can our our company invest in that will give us a good public image? That's not goodness for goodness' sake. That's goodness for the company's sake. That's fleshly motivated action. So it makes sense then that you and I, we live in a confused world. Don't we? We live in a confused world. Explore your sexuality, and then you'll find freedom. Make more money, and then you'll be satisfied. Buy the latest model, your car, and you'll look better. You'll feel better. Achieve success, and surely you will be more secure. You'll be in more control. You'll have your, con- your future grasped. You'll be fine. And we just came through the new year, and that's, that's we buy into that all the time. This idea that it's going to be better. Everything's going to be fixed. If I just had that one thing, if this relationship would pan out, then I'd be happy. Then I'd be satisfied. Then I'd be okay. And what we're doing in that moment is we're buying into the lie of our flesh, the lies of our flesh. Because when we, when we look around existentially by what we experience, what we feel, what we see, we can almost taste it. What we know, if we're honest, is that... Our world is in shambles. Our world's broken. We see brokenness everywhere. We see violence and we see greed and we see pain and we see corruption. And it leaves us wondering, doesn't it? It leaves us wondering, who can I trust? Is there anything out there that's good? Is there anything out there that's good? Who can I rely on? And, and and I love this. Paul quotes the Psalms in Romans three when he says this: No one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Turn, together they've become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. And we see that, don't we? We wonder that. We question everything. In another interesting moment in Mark chapter 10, there's this young guy, this young ruler, it says, that approaches Jesus. And what does he say? It says, A man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus' response is interesting. Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Let that sink in. No one is good except for God. No one is good except for God. So if you're not a Christian, if you haven't had a conversion experience, the Bible says that you have one nature and that you live by your flesh alone. Alone. You're enslaved to your own desires, it says in other passages. And we know that our flesh, what that means is is our flesh is in rebellion against God. Our flesh does not worship God. Our flesh worships us. And so all of us in this room have been very committed. Those of you that don't know Jesus, you're committed. You're very, you're hyper committed. Congratulations. But you're committed to you. You're committed to you. And this is, this is the essence of sin. Sin in one sense is absent, absence from God. But by God's grace, right? By God's grace, because of Christ, we can have salvation, we can have hope through faith in what Jesus has accomplished through his life and through his death and through his burial and through his resurrection. So Christian, you have a new nature. You have a new nature, you have the spirit but what we've often seen miscommunicated is what we need to understand and hopefully be encouraged by and hopefully, hopefully learn where to go from here is that just because you have the Spirit does not mean that your struggles end. Becoming a Christian does not mean that the fleshly struggle ends. Galatians 5.17, just a few verses before, what we just read says, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other. They're opposed to each other. So if you're here, and if you're a Christian, you have two natures, and they're at war. You have your flesh, which is in rebellion against God. You have the Spirit, which is the power of God in you. And you've heard this, but we need to be reminded of this. We need to, we need to understand this before we can even begin to talk about what it means to live out this fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.24 in the text that we've been reading, says, And those who belong to Christ, Jesus have crucified, crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And what happens is, a lot of us when we become Christians, or some of us, if we've been a part of another belief system, we'll we'll be legalists. Or maybe you struggle with self-righteousness. You're trying to be self-accepted. You're attempting to earn your rightness before God. And, and what happens is, if that's you, and I often struggle with this, is you'll simply attempt to train your flesh. To train your flesh. Well, I've got to be better. I've got to quit doing that so much. I've I got to get better at that. I've got to clean myself up a bit. But if I've been captivated by God's grace, if you've been captivated by the gospel and by the grace of God, Your response will not be to simply train your flesh, but what Paul says here, to crucify it. To crucify it. The law makes requirements of us. We've got to measure up. We've got to prove ourselves. We've got to clean ourselves up. And the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is an invitation into life with God because of what Jesus has done. If we understand grace and if we understand the gospel, if we've been saved by the power of the Spirit, if we're in union with Christ, we're no longer slaves to the flesh, but we we begin to walk according to our new nature, the Spirit. And the hope, the heart posture, is that all of this is done not out of obligation, but out of genuine love and out of genuine joy. The posture is, God, I love you. God, I pursue you. God, I follow you because you first loved me. And it's by sheer grace. I deserve punishment. And you show me mercy. You show me mercy. What I want to encourage you with this morning, and for some of you it will be an invitation, is, you know, if you're a Christian... God has saved you from hell. God God forgives you. God welcomes you. Absolutely. That's awesome. But it's even more personal than that. It's more personal than that. And it's beautiful good news. And, And what I know is, I feel like I've got to say this before I say the next thing, is that some of us, we grew up in rough homes. Mom and dad maybe weren't around that much, or maybe they weren't present if they were. Some of you maybe have experienced abuse, which is awful. Or maybe your mom and dad did the best they could, but despite that, there's wounds that you carry. And this is such a debilitating thing for any person. But, but, but listen to what Paul says in Romans 8, 15, and 16. He says this, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the Spirit, the Spirit's at work here, the Spirit of adoption as sons. By whom we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself. Again, the Spirit's working here. Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are what? We're children of God. Children of God. So God has not only saved you, God has not only forgiven you and welcomed you, he's done all these things, praise God, but he has also adopted you. He's adopted you. I love that line in Come Now Fount that we just sang. It says, Jesus sought me when I was a stranger. When I was a stranger, when you were a stranger, Jesus sought you. If you're a Christian, God calls you son or daughter. You aren't merely tolerated. Hear that. You weren't merely tolerated. You weren't merely welcomed into a relationship with God out of obligation. Well, I guess you can come along. I guess, you know, you can tag along. We'll tolerate you. God planned it that His only begotten Son, Jesus, would come to earth. Jesus willingly left the comforts of heaven, lived a sinless life, and died a sinner's death so that you could be in relationship with God. And we hear that often, I think here, and this is awesome that we do. But what I want us to really dwell on in that is what we have to realize is out of all the ways he could have done it, this is how God chose to reveal himself to us. To show us what reconciliation looks like. To welcome us in, to love us through sacrifice by taking the form of a servant, by emptying himself, as it says in Philippians. God adopts you when you become a Christian. You are loved. You are cherished. Christian, you have a new nature, and Paul is exhorting us, he's inviting us, all of us Christians, to walk in line with our new nature as sons and as daughters. Because Jesus didn't sacrifice himself and go through all of that for your petty attempts to clean up your own life. And conversely, Jesus didn't die so that you could remain in your sin. Jesus desires to be in a love relationship with you. With you. And this relationship changes everything. So when we become Christians, inevitably, through through a process... Over time, we call this sanctification. Over time, we become more and more like Jesus. Christians become more and more like Christ because they have the Spirit dwelling within them. And the Bible uses fruit as a metaphor and gives us descriptors as to what the Spirit looks like. Paul is saying this is what the Spirit does when you pursue Christ, when you follow Christ. And so let's just begin to ask ourselves this morning as we have been for the last month, does joy mark my life? Does peace mark my life? Does patience mark my life? Does goodness mark my life? Does kindness mark my life? And and I encourage you this morning, this can become your reality. So I could say, you know, pursue kindness, peace, and faithfulness. But I think above that, pursue Christ. And these will become your reality. Pursue Christ. Accept Him. Ask the Spirit to come and regenerate you, save you. So let's complete this real quick by looking at Faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. So the first one, faithfulness, as we end this. Regarding faithfulness, I found an interesting thing while I was reading. um, The Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible writes that most relevant Hebrew verbal, you know, the most relevant Hebrew verbal root, that's wordy, of faithfulness, they carry meanings such as to strengthen, to support, to hold up. I don't know if that's very helpful, but what I found that was interesting is it says, in a physical sense, so a word picture of this, of faithfulness, in a physical sense, it's used of pillars that provide support for doors. So imagine a faithful support system that keeps the roof up and so that we can walk through a door without being crushed. This makes us think of, you know, that would be reliable support. That would be effective support so we don't get crushed. And so the idea here, the word picture there, is that the structure will not fall if the support is faithful. And before we start talking about how we can be more faithful, let's be encouraged that that kind of not crushing support, faithful support, that what we have to realize first and foremost is that we have a God that is faithful. We have a God that is faithful and when we become Christians, the Spirit dwells in us, and slowly we become faithful. A verse that comes to mind is Deuteronomy 7 9. This is great. It says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. And it says this the faithful God who keeps covenant in steadfast love. Isn't it good that God is faithful? That he's not indifferent towards us? That when he says something, he follows through with it? We have a faithful God. If the Spirit's in us, we will grow in faithfulness. If the Spirit's within us, we will be reliable. We'll we'll become true to our word. We'll be stable. We'll be steady. Now, obviously, you might imagine the fleshliness of this. Those of us that aren't faithful, according to the Bible, we're disloyal. We struggle with unreliability. How many of you know that, that dude that like, Hey, I'll be there. I'll help you move. And they don't show up, right? That's just one stupid example of this. But, but, but that's the flesh, little by little. That's what the flesh look, looks like. Fair weather. Tim Keller writes about this as being an opportunist, a friend, only in good times. Is that you? Is that you? You follow through with what you said only when it's convenient for you? You're loyal to others only when it's convenient for you. You follow God only when it means comfort and added blessing for you. But if it's hard, if it involves sacrifice, you quit. You're done. I didn't sign up for this. That's the flesh. And what I want us to realize is thank God Jesus didn't respond to us that way. Now, there's a fake aspect of this, and what that means is there's something that looks like faithfulness, but it's really not. And so we're going to kind of unpack this like we have been the past couple weeks. The fake aspect, the counterfeit aspect of faithfulness is man-fearing, unwillingness to question others, this, this idea of loving without truth. And so relationally, this means that you're never willing to confront or challenge something or someone when you see that what's happening might bring harm to the person or to other people. And what we have to understand is this is completely self-serving, right? Right? If, if that's how we respond, we don't love that person. We're not, we're not exuding faithfulness because we're actually going to let them hurt themselves be, rather than sticking our neck out on the line. Us being willing to be rejected. When we see that hurt could happen, this is counterfeit faithfulness because on the surface, it may look faithful, it may look caring, it may look loyal, but we aren't really faithful if we're not willing to make that sacrifice, the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. What it reveals in our heart, if that's us, is that we're really not faithful to others, we're faithful to ourselves. We're faithful to ourselves. So it might appear to be faithfulness, but it's really selfishness and flesh masked in faithfulness. And so I mentioned when when we started talking about faithfulness what the Spirit looks like. And so real quickly, you know, it might look like the loyalty, true loyalty, reliability. In it for the long haul, if you will. That when things get difficult, when suffering happens, we follow through. We do what we say. Does faithfulness mark your life? Because as we walk by the Spirit, it slowly should and it will. Next, gentleness. Gentleness. This is an interesting word because I think there's baggage in all of these, but I think there's particular baggage in the word gentleness. Because I think it could, it could apply to all of us, but especially for, for guys for men, I think gentleness is often viewed as a vice rather than a virtue. And so, and so the flesh, obviously, we could say, you know, the flesh in this is harsh, it's aggressive, it's intimidating. And I think for many of us at various times in our lives, those fleshly um, aspects of, of gentleness, the opposite of it, they, these things have been celebrated. We've seen them celebrated. But this is the work of the flesh. This isn't the work of the Spirit in us. And so again, Christ has shown us gentleness, so we are to show others gentleness. So let's ask ourselves, was Christ harsh with broken people? Did Jesus intimidate us into worshiping him? Did Jesus intimidate us with his majesty? Was Jesus aggressive and overpowering and forceful No. Now again, like with faithfulness, like with the rest of these, there's a fake aspect of gentleness. There's a counterfeit aspect of gentleness. And this is what you might imagine fear, being self-conscious. Because fear and, and being self-conscious can look like gentleness, but really it's not So we can appear to be gentle, or some people might look gentle, but really, oftentimes, it's driven by fear, by feeling less than. And what we know is that God doesn't give us a spirit of fear. And so the fruit is to be hospitable, to have a humble confidence, to care more for others than we do for ourselves. I love this definition that I found. It says, an expression of compassion. An expression of compassion seen in God's dealings with the frail and the weak, and expected of believers in their dealings with other people. And so, if you feel inferior, let's pray through that because it's still, at its root, it's fleshly and it's selfish because when we feel inferior, the focus isn't on God, and it's not on others. It's on ourselves still. And a lot of that comes from wounds. And so our prayer for you and what God promises you is that he will heal you of those wounds. That you don't have to feel inferior. You don't have to you walk in shame. You don't have to walk in this idea that I don't belong. You belong because of Jesus Christ. You belong. God loves you. God cherishes you. So we're to be gentle with God's people because God's been gentle with us. Last one self control. The one that everyone here is just great at, right? Our culture just celebrates self control, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Everything in our culture is instant. We know that. Instant gratification impulsive, lack of awareness, letting things get the best of you. I want what I want, and I'm going to get it now. Right? In the Greek, what I think is interesting is the words for self-control have a particular emphasis here on sensuality. And so we could speak of this, surely, in more of a general sense, but self-control over sexual desire is specifically what this instance is referring to. Now, if that's not countercultural, I don't know what is. And so there's a fake aspect of self-control. Most guys' accountability groups, and I won't go beyond that, but you can imagine that the fake aspect of self-control is just mere willpower, moralism, I'm going to control myself because I need to be in control of my life. I'm going, to, I'm going to just try harder. I'm going to fix myself. I'm going to get over this on my own. I'm going to master myself. I'm going to clean myself up. And if that's our posture, what we have to understand is that the root, that's pride. That's pride. It may look like self-control, but it's driven by pride. And so when we're doing really well in that, we feel really good. And when we mess up, we despair because it's all about us cleaning ourselves up. That's not motivated by the gospel. And so I don't know if this is helpful, but Keller mentions, what's the fruit? And he says, the ability to choose important things over urgent things. And let me read to you something from the Holman Bible Dictionary. And just listen, this isn't on the screens, but it says, freedom in Christ does not give believers liberty to cast off all moral restraint as some members in Galatia and other churches apparently believed nor does it call for a withdrawal or a withdrawal from life and its temptations so what is it it says it calls for a self-disciplined life following Christ's example of being in the world but not of the world And so as we wrap up this series, if you didn't hear anything else, what I want you to hear is this. And this may seem like an oversimplification, but we intentionally want you to take this posture. We exhort you to follow Jesus. To follow Jesus. No one is good except God. And as we pursue Christ, we will grow in Christ's character. We will become more like Christ. This fruit is the character of Jesus. Our hope, as a church, our hope in our prayer is that your love for Jesus would grow and that as a result, you would become more like him. This fruit would, would begin to be who you are because you are becoming like Jesus. So today, let's ask ourselves, As we sing these songs, let's let's make this a part of our prayer. What evidence do I see in my life that I'm slowly changing to become like Jesus? Begin to think over the past year. How is Jesus changing me? How is Jesus reshaping me? How is Jesus renewing me? We can delight in Christ for he has blessed us as Christians. He's adopted us. And he's welcoming us into relationship with God through the cross. Follow Jesus. Follow him. If you're a Christian, walk by the Spirit. You have a new nature. You have a new nature. And the last big idea is we, we have to understand is that a healthy Christian life will inevitably produce the character of Jesus. A healthy Christian life will produce faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Let's pray. Lord, as, as we've been looking through this, I'm just so grateful, when, especially when we're looking at faithfulness, I'm just grateful that your response to us, because if you're God, you could do whatever you want, your response to us wasn't indifference. You, show, you, you chose to reveal yourself by sacrificing yourself for us. I just, that's just beautiful. And you're welcoming us towards yourself. And God, I just pray that as Christians in this room, those that are Christians, they would just have assurance that you love them, that you're calling them to yourself, that you're saying, this is how life could be. Follow me, pursue me, know me. That's where joy is found. That's where peace is found. That's where patience is found. That's where all these things are found. It's when you follow me. And Lord, for those of us that are far from you, that are wandering, that are, that are, that are just lost in our flesh, I pray, God, by the work of your spirit, that you would, you would reveal yourself in your beauty to us, that you would change us, that we would make much of you. We love you we thank you. Amen. That does it for today's podcast. Thanks for listening and make sure to tune in tomorrow for the next edition of Transformation Radio.